0: Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Incidentally, this is the first question recorded in the Bible. The first question that God asked mankind is, where are you? Adam and Eve had fallen into sin, into depravity. They were ashamed. They felt uh, in themselves a guilt and a shame and an unworthiness and as a result of that they went and hid themselves from the presence of God. God comes down and calls out to them in their hiding and he says, "Where are you?" Yeah. Next question from Genesis 32:27, God asked Jacob, "What is your name?" or in other words, "Who are you?" Third question, 1 Kings 19:13, God asked Elijah, who was very depressed and emotionally unstable at the moment. He was suicidal and hiding in a cave, isolating himself from everyone around him. And God comes with his spirit to the mouth of the cave, and God echoes the question, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Again, the three questions God asks us, where are you? Who are you, and what are you doing here? Now, when God asks us questions, he's not trying to ascertain new information that he doesn't already have. God knows all things. When God asks us questions, it's to give us an opportunity to be honest with ourselves. And for a lot of people, that's difficult. You know, telling lies is a terrible thing, But the worst person in the world to lie to is yourself. And a lot of people lie to themselves every day about where they are, about who they are, and about what they're doing here. And as we start a new year, I feel the Holy Spirit asking us some questions To allow us the opportunity to do self-evaluation concerning where we are. And these three questions today that God gave me to ask you, not in a judgmental way, not in an inspirational way to stir you up, but to just ask you to ponder the question, where are you? In three unique areas, and they all pertain to things that God said is holy and important to him. And it's a crucial issue that we understand what's important to God as we approach a relationship with him. Because when you only approach a relationship looking for what's important to you and what's important to the other person is of no consequence to you, then the relationship becomes one-sided. Many of you in here know what it's like to be in a one-sided relationship. And one-sided relationships are not fruitful because they're selfish and self-focused. So when we come to God, we can't just be concerned about what we can get from him. Knowledge or wisdom or healing or blessing or strength. When we come to God, we have to be aware of what he expects from us. And he's laid it out clearly in his word. Three questions I want to ask you. Number one, where are you with your faithfulness to God's house? Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 This passage is located inside of the Ten Commandments, and God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Everyone say holy. Holy. Verse 9, he says, six days shall you do labor and all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Verse 11, he says, In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is within them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. God said, My day, the day where you come and you worship me and you receive my word and you honor me, that day itself is holy. And he expects us to honor it and to participate in his worship. For a New Testament reference of this, the writer says in Hebrews 10, 25, that believers should not forsake the assembling of themselves together, that when the congregation gathers together for worship, you need to find your hips in a pew. That's a sidesism. Find your hips in a pew, amen. Point is, there's something holy and something special about it, so when church is going on, it's important that you make it a priority to be here. In our society today, only 20%, get this stat, it's crazy to me. In our society today, only 20% of Bible-believing Christians go to church more than three times per month. 80% of Bible-believing Christians attend church once a month. One Sunday out of four. And it's difficult because... Today, there's so many things competing for our time and our attention. There are family responsibilities and work responsibilities. And it seems like every time you make up in your mind that you're going to the house of the Lord, 10 things pop up as reasons why you cannot make it. And sometimes it's a huge sacrifice to make it to church. And yet, it's a sacrifice that God expects us to make. God said it's holy, it's set apart, and he's saying, I expect you to prioritize your life in such a way that you can give your Sunday to me. Now, for a little bit of perspective, I did some calculations, and some of these are, are, are rough, but, but I think you'll find them to be true. There are, in fact, 8,760 hours in a year, 8,760 hours in a year. If you were to say, and it, it varies among people and family and depends on where you live, but if you were to say that it takes you four hours out of your Sunday to come to church, you know, if it takes you an hour to get ready and get to church, and then you go through a two-hour service, and then it takes you an hour to get from church back home. If you were to give God four hours per Sunday, that would be giving him 16 hours per month, and that would equate to 192 hours per year. Now, I want you to think about this. There's 8,760 hours in a year, and God's only asking for 192 of them. That's less than 3% of your time. And even if you went to the extreme and you factored in all the conferences and Bible studies and special events and even volunteering an hour a week, it would only be 6% of your entire year. So where are you, ladies and gentlemen? Where are you with your faithfulness to the house of God? Have you prioritized the Lord's day as it relates to your time management? And when God sees you reordering and making priorities different so you can be in his house, he interprets it as a form of worship. There's 365 days in a year and 52 Sundays. I want to challenge you to make it a special priority this year to give your Sunday to God and be faithful to his house. And as with all of his commandments, it's not just something that we do to obey him. His commandments benefit us. Here's some benefits of coming to church every Sunday. Coming to church on Sunday washes your soul of all the mess that life threw on you the previous week. Anybody had any mess thrown on them last week? It's being washed off today as you're in the presence of the Lord. Number two, coming to church every week strengthens your faith and knowledge of God. Number three, coming to church every week strengthens the bond of fellowship between you and your church family. I was visiting Sister Valerie Porsche in the hospital yesterday. And she was amazed at how many people from her church family had been to the hospital and had been to uh, calling her and and texting her and praying for and lifting her up. She was so ministered to. She's from Trinidad. Not a lot of her family is in the States. But she felt like we were as close as blood family because the bonds of her church family had been strengthened by regular church attendance. And you need that in your life even if you don't think you do. It gets lonely in the hospital when nobody's visiting you and you feel like you're all by yourself and there will be times in life where you do feel like that but if you have a church family a body of believers that you were a part of they can lift you up and strengthen you and finally coming to church every Sunday allows you to put God first every week of the year Jesus said seek you first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and then all these other things will be added to you so where are you with that What's your paradigm with that? If you're not doing it, have you considered why? If you don't think it's important, have you asked yourself, why don't I think it's important? Because the scripture that you claim to believe says that God thinks it is very important. Sunday is holy unto the Lord, and we're to honor him on that day. Number two, where are you with your worship? Just because you're present in the building does not mean that you have had a worship experience. When we worship God, we are approaching him. And the scriptures give us a protocol of approach, a way that we enter into God's presence. We can find this protocol in Psalms 150, if you will go there with me. Psalms 100, or I'm sorry, go to Psalms 100 first. And we'll go verses one through five psalms 100 verses one through five it says make a joyful shout old king james says make a joyful noise to the lord all you lands so noise is supposed to be a part of the process a shout is supposed to be a part of the process pastor i'm not a noisy person i know but god wants you to be when you come into his house you can be quiet and reserved and stiff and a stick in the mud all the other days of the week but when you come to church on sunday god wants some noise out of you to so make a joyful noise unto the lord it's part of the protocol verse number two he says serve the lord with gladness One of the most challenging parts of my job is when I come in here on Sundays, you get to see the back of everyone's head, but I get to see everyone's face. And there's not always a whole lot of gladness in the room, you know. People sitting in the pew like they're sucking on a lemon, and a bad lemon too, a lemon that's been, you know, on the shelf too long. Sour face, you know. There's a syndrome called permanent resting blank face. I'll say it like that, yeah. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Permanent resting blank face. You know, and when we come to the house of the Lord, we're supposed to inspect our countenance. It is okay to smile. It is okay to let those pearly whites show. It is okay to smile at your neighbor. And every now and then it's okay to smile at the preacher. You don't have to frown at me the whole service. Every now and then if I look at you, you can smile. Serve the Lord with gladness. It's a commandment. So even if you had a bad week, you have to have a glad Sunday. It's a choice that you make. You know, no matter what you're going through, you can make the decision to think positively. You can make the decision to think about how good God has been. And you can make a decision to put a smile on your face. Look at your neighbor. Say, wipe that ugly off your face. Oh, you didn't say it. Look at the other one. Say, wipe that ugly off your face. All the husbands sitting next to their wives, they didn't say nothing. They just kept looking straight ahead. It's all right. I'll tell you, wipe the ugly off your face and serve the Lord with gladness. And it's funny, but, but do you think about how you're approaching the house of God? are you coming in all encumbered by what you're going through and all in a negative mindset over the things that have been happening to you or do you make a decision when you get out of bed i'm going to the house of my god to worship him because he is worthy no matter what is going on in my life no matter how i feel no matter the problems i have and i make the decision to be happy i make the decision to smile everybody that sees me today is going to see me smile because it's the lord's day serve the Lord with gladness number three third commandment of protocol in approaching him is come before his presence with singing I want to make an announcement to all the people who can't sing and nobody ever wants you to sing anywhere else you know when i when I'm driving with Katie sometimes I'll be singing and when I start singing she turns on the radio and I look and say, why well, would you turn on the radio? She said, oh, I just wanted to hear this song. But even people who cannot sing, I've also noticed that it's the people who can't sing that like to sing the most. Why is that? It's the people that can't sing. You know, you're driving to work and you've got the radio, but you're singing as loud as you can totally off key and you don't care because you just like to sing. We've got a place for you. Psalm says, come before the presence of the Lord with singing. So even if you sound terrible, this is the one place where somebody wants to hear you sing and that somebody is God. So you come in here and sing, baby, sing. Sing with your off-key self. Sing with your no-rhythm self. Sing your heart out. Come before his presence with singing. Verse number three is commandment number four. Know that the Lord, he is God. For six days out of our week, we have to manage so many things. We have to manage our children. We have to manage our families. We have to manage work, and we have to manage all the things we're responsible for. And constantly being in a position of management for six days, most of the time out of your life, it does leads you into the mentality that you are the CEO of your own universe. And it's easy to forget that you belong to God, that God made you. That he is the creator and you are the creation so David said when you come into the presence of the Lord to worship you got to know this you got to know that the Lord he is God it is he who made us and not we ourselves I want to tell every successful person in here you are not successful by yourself you can't think the way that you think by yourself you didn't make those connections and business relationships by yourself there's a creator that gave your mind the quickness and the speed and the smarts that it had there's a creator that made your body strong enough to do those things that you're able to do you did not make yourself you are the creation of Almighty God he says we are his people Whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, you belong to somebody that you will give an answer to when this life is over. You belong to God. I want to tell every person in the room from the balcony to the back row, you belong to God, and your God is worthy to be praised by his people. He said, we are the sheep of his pasture, and you have to know this, honey, or you won't worship him correctly. If you don't know that you belong to him, when you come into his presence, you'll have an air of arrogance on you like he ought to be happy you showed up. See, see, you cannot truly worship when you feel like you are the mastermind and you are in total control of every single thing that's ever happened to you, every gift that you have and talent you have. You can't worship God that way. When you approach God, you have to approach him with the knowledge he made me. He knows my form. He knows my frame. He knows my uprising and my downsetting. He knows my mistakes. He knows my successes. And he has graced me with this life. The very breath that I am breathing belongs to Almighty God. And with that understanding, we approach him. It causes, you, it causes you to bow before you ever get in the sanctuary. It causes you to bow your intelligence down before the all-knowing God. It causes you to bow any pride or ego, any intrinsic thing on the inside that would cause you to have a lofty view of yourself. It causes you to bow before you ever step in the sanctuary, knowing that he is God. He has made us, not we ourselves, and we are the sheep of his pasture commandment number five enter comes from verse four enter you don't just step in there's a way that you enter You don't just live in debauchery and sin all week long and then stumble in here half hung over and have an experience with god there is a way you are supposed to enter and god is gracious and he accepts flawed people he wants flawed people to come he wants broken people to come but even for those people there is a way you are supposed to enter he said enter into his gates with thanksgiving not complaining not down talking not a scowl on your face if you're going to enter you have to get the mindset in the beginning of the day when your foot hits the floor on sunday morning and you purpose in your heart to go and worship the lord something in you ought to be saying lord i thank you for giving me life this morning i thank you for the quickness of my mind and the mobility of my limbs i thank you for the opportunity that i have a place to go today i thank you for the opportunity that i have the wherewithal with all in my mind to go somewhere and not get lost and know where I'm going I'm thankful thankfulness is a prerequisite for approaching God oh that's a good note thankfulness is a prerequisite for approaching God enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise a lot of people are here today but not everybody has praised and if you haven't I'm not judging you I'm just asking you the question where are you with that? Does it matter to you? Does what God has clearly spoken to us in his word carry value and importance in your life? If it does, then where are you with the fact that you haven't praised him? It's for self-evaluation. Enter his courts with praise. Be faithful thankful unto him and bless his name why verse 5 for the Lord is good oh there's a few people that have that testimony there's a few people that know that you may not know greek and hebrew and all the theology but you do know that the lord has been good to you has been merciful to you has been kind to you kept your family covered you brought you through things you didn't think that you could survive and get through Opened doors for you made ways for you you may not know a whole lot but you know the lord is good is there a witness in the house that knows the lord His mercy, oh, I'm thankful for that scripture right there. Because I don't know about you, I need a whole lot of mercy. I need mercy every day. I need mercy every moment. I need mercy every hour. But his mercy is never exhausted by the weaknesses of human limitation. His mercy endures forever. psalms 150 continues the protocol of how we are supposed to worship god psalms 150 verse 1 says praise the lord praise god in your living room watching live stream praise god in your car listening to the cd player pastor i can worship anywhere and the lord doesn't care where i worship psalms 150 disagrees with you praise see we got to start letting the word of god be what we believe not what we make up in our own minds not what somebody told us that was half cocked and half baked we have to let the word of god tell us what the will of god is and the will of god and the word of god are one in the same it says praise god in his sanctuary That means when you come into the sanctuary, there is a biblical, scriptural requirement from your God that before the service is over, at some point in the service, you give God praise. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty acts. Verse 2. Praise him for his mighty acts. I don't know about you. God has done some mighty things over my life. As I look back over the years, so many times, so many places, God has proved himself to be mighty in my life. And what God expects from us, you know, we forget so easily, but God never does. What God expects for us is for us to recount and remember when we wake up on the Lord's day and we prepare ourselves and our families to go to the Lord's house. It's important that we recount and we praise him for that time that you didn't know how the rent was going to get paid and you thought you were going to be homeless and God supernaturally made a way for you when it seemed to be no way when you didn't have a vehicle and nobody would approve you for it God either made sure you had someone to give you a ride or he opened the door for you to get a vehicle when you didn't have enough food in the house to eat because you spent all your money on bills and yet God made that provision some kind of way for you and your family to eat over and over and over and over and over and over and over again those times when you were sick in your body and God supernaturally healed you those times where you were backed up in a corner and you were so low and depressed and didn't know how you would get out of the corner you were in and yet God systematically brought you out of it step by blessed step when he does that you got to you got to get it in your mind All through the Old Testament in the later chapters of the Old Testament, God was still talking about an event that had happened a thousand years earlier. He said, I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God that brought you across the Red Sea. I'm the God that made a way when there was no way to be made. And he wanted his people to remember and talk about and recount all of the good things God has done for them. And if God's ever given you a miracle, ever given you a healing, ever given you a blessing, ever given you favor, ever opened a door up for you, you ought never stop talking about it, testifying about it, praising God for it, thanking God for it. Tell your story. Your story gives God praise. Tell your testimony. Your testimony gives God praise for his mighty acts. Praise him. Oh, God, this one convicts me. This one convicts me. It should convict all of us. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. According is a word, it's a music word, a chord thing. It refers to harmony with, like the key of C, C-E-G. C-E-G are all in harmony with each other. So one corresponds to the other accordingly. He's saying you ought to praise God, like, in according with, in harmony with, his excellent greatness as I begin to meditate on that scripture, I realized, God, I can't. Because, like, like David said, if I had 10,000 tongues, <laughs> oh, I still couldn't praise you according to your excellent greatness because it's not enough. But, but the, the revelation the Holy Spirit gave me is, if what you have is not enough to match according to his excellent greatness, then we should all praise him with everything we have the deficit should be on our ability not our effort I can't I can't do it enough but this is all I can do this is all I've got this is the best of my ability it's It's the way we approach our God. Verse number three, praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. All you dancing people, you got a license to dance in the house of the Lord. You got a license to move your feet and to shuffle a little bit. Do the moonwalk, twirl, do something, do the nay-nay. You got a right to dance in the house of the Lord. Everybody used to make fun of my dance because when I really was would dance, I'd just stick one leg up and I'd just hop on one leg. Whatever you got to do, just dance in the presence of the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. If you don't do nothing but pick your feet up and down or stomp, dancing, praising his name in the dance. It's a part of the protocol. Amen. 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 Everybody ought to stomp your feet three times and say amen. Praise him with the stringed instruments and flutes, praise him with the loud cymbals. That's interesting. I had, this, I had this lady write me a scathing review of our church. I loved the content of the preaching. I loved the songs. The people were nice. The problem is this church is way too Loud. Uh, another person that never read their Bible. Praise him with the ah, loud symbols. Praise him with the clashing symbols. Let everything
1: Somebody ought to lift up a clap. Somebody ought to make some noise. Make some noise. So, so
0: that that's that's protocol. You understand? In other words that's something you ought not have to be worked up into really our praise and worship leaders shouldn't have to work that hard when they come out and start singing all of this stuff this protocol ought to be down in your spirit and come out you ought to be clapping on before they ask you ought to be dancing before the music starts you ought to be shouting and singing and making a clamorous noise of praise Not in response to what you hear so much, but in response to who he is and what he has asked his people for. So, with all that said, why are you with that? Why are you with that? Is that something that's embedded in your thinking? And if it is, why does it take so much from us to get so many of you to do it? Surely you didn't think all of this was about you. But that's that's an important question because a lot of people come to church like that. They use church as therapy. And church can be therapeutic. But if that's your only focus, then you're approaching God with a one-sided mentality. And one-sided relationships can never be fruitful. How do you feel when somebody tries to use you? Have you ever been used... Have you ever been used and then what was important to you was just discarded? We hate it when people do that to us. Why do we do it to God? Worshiping God according to the scripture is a holy thing. He said it's holy. It's set apart. Worshiping God according to the scripture is a spiritual thing worship singing clapping dancing shouting moving your body in the presence of the Lord in response to his goodness are things you do with your natural body that translate and have spiritual implications spiritual ripples in the spirit world in first Timothy chapter 2 the apostle tells us to lift up holy hands in the presence of the Lord now your hands are not holy You've done a lot of unholy things with your hands. But your unholy hands become holy the moment you extend them to a holy God. Because God has set apart and sanctified worship. And when we worship him, we plunge ourselves into, we stick ourselves into that which is holy. We put ourselves, which are, we're unclean, into something that has been cleansed and sanctified when we lift up holy hands to God. You ought to lift up your hands right now. Now you can just feel that. There's something that happens when we lift our hands as a
1: congregation. Father, I love you. My heart is filled. With desire to see your power and glory, cover the earth as the waters clothe the sea, and I am surrounded by the fortress of God. I'm totally surrendered to you So I lift up my hands Standing unashamed I worship you, Father Exalting your name You've captured my heart Now my life is changed I lift up my hands, oh! oh, oh, oh. I lift up my hands. Come on, everybody in the building, lift up your hands real high. If you know it, sing it. Say, I lift up my hands, standing unashamed. I worship You, Father, exalt. My heart now my life is changed I lift up my head oh. a
0: yeah. lift of
1: my hand
0: and if you're sensitive in the spirit. When you lift up your hands and you sing a hymn, or you sing an anthem, or you sing a chorus, there's a special anointing that comes in. Like when you lift up your hands all over the building you say, Hallelujah. You can feel it already. Put those hands all the way up. And then there's just beautiful levels you can step in. We
1: exalt these. We. Yes, we do. We exalt Thee. Mm. Glory to Your name, Jesus. You can go a level up and say, Lord, I love You. Yes, I do, Lord. I.
0: listen 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 that what we have right there one person can't make it feel the way it feels now two people five people we can't make it feel the way it feels when we all do it together as a congregation do you see why david said sing praises unto him in the congregation because there's things like this some of you feel it you know it's just a beautiful beautiful weight of glory coming down in the room and you feel the way you feel because we've done it the right way way god intended it for it to be done now there's benefits of worship sit down and take these down that was just an example there's benefits of worship worship takes faith that's already there and magnifies it when you worship god whatever level of your faith whatever place your faith is in at the moment the worship takes the faith and magnifies it that's why david said oh magnify the lord with me and let us exalt his name together to magnify means to make bigger and you cannot make god bigger But David wasn't talking about you making God bigger. He was saying magnify him on the inside of you. Magnify your faith on the inside of you by exalting his name together in the congregation. Number two, worship attracts God's favor. That's a good one. Worship attracts God's favor. Scriptural reference for this. Do you remember the Greek Syrophoenician woman? who came to Jesus from the coast of Tyre and Jesus was in a big meeting and and she came in and she said I need help my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil I need you to come and I need you to heal her and the disciples were trying to quiet the woman down and tell her to go away and they were about to leave and Jesus was walking out of the room and she got down on her knees and she started to worship him and her worship boom attracted him it held him in place he couldn't leave he comes over to her and he says At this point in my ministry, I'm not directed towards the Gentiles. I'm sent right now to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it's not proper for me to take the children's bread, the ones that I'm sent to. It's not proper for me to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs. That fall off the master's table and she started worshiping him again. He tried to walk out, but she wouldn't stop worshiping. He tried to leave and go on about his business, but she wouldn't stop worshiping. And her worship pulled him back in the room and caused him to give her a special favor that he wasn't giving anybody else of her kind at the time. Worshiping God will cause him to give you special favors. <laughs> I don't know about you i need some special favors and worshiping god one of the byproducts one of the benefits is that he gives people who worship special favors where are you with that and finally number three where are you with your commitment to tithing the tithe the scripture says is holy meaning it's set apart and it belongs to God. Go to Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. Leviticus 27, verse 30. And all the tithe. Notice he said all. All the tithe. Not the percentage that you decide to edit like you do your tax report. Not after you've made all your deductions, end up with what's left over, and you put that 10%. No, he said all the tithe. The tithe is 10% of the whole. Okay. Not after you've paid every bill and taken care of everything else. It's 10% of the whole. And God said the tithe belongs to him. He said all the tithe. In Malachi 3, for instance, you'll remember God said bring all the tithe. And it's your responsibility to be diligent in calculating that. It's your responsibility not to be flippant and say, oh, well, I didn't count that or I forgot that. It's your responsibility as increase comes into your life that you are diligent with it and say 10% of my increase. The scripture has said, the scripture has commanded that it belongs to God. Now, a lot of churches don't teach this boldly and forcibly today because they're more concerned about numbers than they are about health. But there's a difference in swelling and growing. You can swell up five times your size, doesn't mean it's healthy. The scripture says sanctify us with your truth. Your word, O Lord, is truth. And there's some things that we are locked out of because we're not obeying the Scripture the way God has given it to us and instructed us with it. He said, all of the tithe of the land, whether it's the seed or the fruit, whether it's in investment stage or whether it's in return stage, if you haven't tithed on it yet, he said, all of it belongs to the Lord. It is holy. Now, we're talking about where we are today with holy things. Where are you with church attendance? Where are you with worship? And where are you with the tithe that is holy? The word holy means set apart, sanctified, special, holy unto the Lord. And the tithe, the 10% of our income that's holy and set apart to honor God, it's a decision we make. Tithing is a decision that proves the value you place on the things of God. A lot of people love the Bible till it starts talking about finances. And when, like, you know... He was wounded for our transgressions. Thank you, Lord. I've got a lot of transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Oh, I've got a ton of iniquity. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. Oh, I need peace. And by his stripes we're healed. Thank you, Lord. I received that healing. You get to finances, people just close up so tight. And when you do, you reveal where the true Lord of your life is. A lot of people want Jesus to be Savior. But they don't want him to be Lord, because Lord means master. Lord means ruler. Lord means giving over the reins of my life and being up under the submission and subjection of another. And that's why when you get on this or when someone gets on this and starts talking about it, you know, your toenail starts itching. And it's true for all of us because all of us it's embedded in the human heart to have control is the default nature of the human heart to have control and to be self seeking, self preserving, self ingrandizing. And when our God starts talking to us about the primary resource with which we live and operate our lives, A lot of people want to give every other aspect. They want to give their soul to God because they don't want to go to hell. (laughs) They want to give their family to God because they want peace and joy and love and all the fruits of the Spirit. But when it comes to finances, they really struggle. And they may give. They may not be hesitant to give something, but they don't want to give God what he asked for. And the problem with that is God is a discriminating consumer. He doesn't take something just because you offer it.
1: Jesus, that's so good, sir. That's good. Okay. That's good.
0: I was at, I was at a ministry, uh, that had brought me in last year to do some work for them. And I worked for them for several days. We helped them in the office, did some consulting, did some ministry for them, did a lot of things. And, um, and during the time that I was there, there was some shady stuff. There, there was uh, just some I just feel like I needed a bath on the inside like my soul my brain needed a bath you know and uh, I couldn't wait for it to be over and when when it was over they came to me and they had an envelope and they had a check in it and they wanted to bless me for my time and when they handed it to me I said no thank you you want you to keep that and you, you go you go take care of that yourself because Not every blessing that's handed to you is a blessing. And when you receive something from someone, you're opening yourself up to reciprocity with them. And so it's important that you are discriminating as far as what you receive from who you receive it. Now, if that's true for us, okay, If that's true for, well, let me go ahead and and further the example. And I'm not going to say any names. I'm not going to blast anybody. Uh, This person was later convicted of severe embezzlement. Okay? And if I would have taken that money, then I would have taken money into my account that had been embezzled. And that money, even though it was in my account, my account's good. Ain't nothing wrong with my account. But even though my account's good, when bad went into my account, they were going to come and check me out and do all kind of stuff. And every person that was given something to and tied to this place had a terrible experience as a result of it. Okay. So not, not everything given is given from proper motives, a proper place, and a proper heart. Well, if it's, true with, if it's true with human interaction, if it's true with man, how much more is it true with God? And God doesn't accept everything you give just because you give it. I'll tell you something pastors won't tell you. If you're not going to give according to what the Scripture says, don't give. If your tithe is $60 and you put $30 in and you mark it as tithe, keep it. Because you ain't tithing. You can lie to yourself and lie to me all you want to. You ain't lying to Jesus. So that's not the church receiving the tithe. That's just us taking your money, taking a donation. I'm not interested in that. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be in proper alignment with what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says the tithe, the tenth part of your increase. That is what's holy. That is what is acceptable. And that is what God is asking for. Do you remember Cain and Abel? When Cain murdered Abel, the reason Cain murdered Abel was because God accepted his offering. And God didn't accept Cain's. Why? It wasn't because Abel was just better than Cain. It was because abel brought god what he asked for and cain brought god what he thought god ought to be happy with and that's what many of us do when we come we fill out that tithe check or we give on a card or we do something we calculate in our mind what we think god ought to be happy with wasting your money Now, if I was after your money, I would tell you, you know, God sees your heart and gives something, and it'll be all right. That's a lie. He does see your heart, and he knows your heart's in rebellion to what he asked for. And God's not going to bless rebellion. You can put a bow on it, draw a smiley face. It ain't going to make it blessed. In Malachi 3.10, God said to his people. Now, they were saved. I ain't saying you're going to hell. But in Malachi 3, God said to his people. He said, you're cursed with a curse as it pertains to your finances. They said, why are we cursed? He said, because you've robbed me in the tithe. You hadn't brought the whole tithe. You've been making your private deductions. You've been making it a a minor issue when it's a major issue to me. He says, I'm not blessing that. In fact, you're cursed. Okay. Now, our souls are redeemed from the curse of sin and death by the blood of Jesus Christ. But our finances are not. Our finances are redeemed when we obey God concerning giving the tithe and giving the whole tithe. Because it's holy unto the Lord. Now I know you're tense and I know the scowl has formed back on your face. But I love you enough to teach you correct doctrine. Amen. Where are you with that? From the beginning of time, God has allowed mankind the freedom to choose how we will respond to what he has declared is holy and set apart for him. Tithing is, in theology, it's under the principle of divine portion. And in fact, the first sin ever committed in the earth involved Adam and Eve making the decision to consume for themselves what God said belonged to him. You remember, God said, every tree in this garden, they my trees. I made them. You can have them. Eat as much as you want. But there's one tree that's my tree. It's holy. It's set apart for me. He said, don't touch that tree. That's the principle of divine portion. Now, you may say, well, God, if you didn't want me to eat from the tree, why'd you put it there? Just put a, just put a gate around it that I can't get through. No. You making the decision... Not to consume and spend for yourself what belongs to God is one of the ways that you worship and honor and love him. Because love is not love in the absence of choice. So when, so God, if, if you wanted the 10th, why didn't you just take it out automatically? Because then it, you wouldn't have the choice to bring it. He said, when I see you make the choice to sit down, figure out the percentage, and faithfully, weekly come to my house and give the tenth part of your increase to me, I receive that as love from you because you made the decision to do it. Amen. The tithe is a marvelous testing and weighing of the heart. It determines the hold that selfishness and greed has on all of us and it determines our level of obedience to the dictates of the Word of God it proves our trust in his lordship over our lives and as with any commandment there are benefits you all know Malachi 3 Bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you do not have room enough to contain. But there's some other benefits. Tithing brings you into a financial covenant with God, a covenant is a contract, it's an agreement. And there are stipulations on both sides. And God is bound by his word, so the tither has the ability to put constraints on God Almighty because God is bound by the word that he promised. Number two, the tithe breaks the power of greed over your life on each level that you tithe on. Let me explain this. Many of you know about this. It was easy to tithe when you made $300 a week. $30, $30, but when you make $3,000 a week and you got to write that $300 checkout, there's a force that 300 has that $30 do not have. You broke the power of greed that $30 had over you because back then in your situation, $30 wasn't going to make that much difference in the first place. If God didn't touch you and bless you, you weren't going to make it anyway. But but the 300 has a power and a force and a weight to it and that weight that hesitation to give it is called greed and selfishness and when you tithe on that level you break the power of greed and selfishness on that level then when you make thirty thousand dollars a month and you got to write that three thousand dollar tithe check on the first of the month you will have to break the power of the 3,000. You broke the power of the 30, and you broke the power of the 300, but now you got to break the power of the 3,000 because every level you go higher, there's a new testing. Will you trust me on this level? You trusted me when you didn't have nothing, and I don't blame you, but as I elevate you and keep you going up the steps, do you have the same trust in me when you're strong all of a sudden that you used to when you had nothing? And the tithe is still establishes God on every level that you take me, you can trust me. You can trust me enough to bless me. You can trust me enough to raise me up. You can trust me enough to put some power connections and relationships in my life. You can trust me enough to put some big doors in my life because every level you take me, no matter how high I get, you can trust me. Amen. God doesn't give some people certain things on certain levels because they can't be trusted. God blesses people he can trust. Amen. And you're sitting there arguing over paying 50 or $60, $70 tithe, and you're praying for, you know, uh, uh, your paycheck to triple or quadruple, and what you say is, is God, if you would just give me more, then I'd do it. No, if you can't be faithful in the little things. Hey. Hello, Amen. You can't be trusted with much. So, where are you? Where are you with that? Everybody say, where am I with that? Three things, three questions. You can stand to your feet. Three questions that I want you to leave in self-evaluation today. Three questions. Where am I with faithfulness? to the Lord's day and his house coming to church? How have I prioritized my life? And, and what do I allow people and life and circumstances and selfishness to put on me that would take me away from the house of the Lord? Never doubt that it is sacrificial to come. If you're going to come faithfully, it's not sacrificial to come once in a while, but if you're going to come faithfully, it will be sacrificial. Something will have to die at the altar in order for you to be able to make it faithfully. But we bring the sacrifice of praise to the house of the Lord. If it's not a sacrifice, it's not beautiful. It's not worth anything. And then where are you with your worship? That whole mindset, that whole energy, that whole approach that you take in to the church and take into the house of god it's important and then thirdly where are you with your tithing is that important to you do you understand what the word of the lord says and is obeying that a priority in your life god said if you'll try me in it if you'll test me in it i'll show you give me some time to show you and i want to challenge you this year first Sunday of the year i'm gonna challenge you I want to challenge you to give God a year. Many of you have never thrown yourself totally into your faith. One foot in, one foot out. One foot in the church, one foot in the world. One foot in faith, one foot in doubt. I want to challenge you to throw your whole self and give God a year. Give Him a year of coming to His house and worshiping Him. Give Him a year of giving Him praise and worship. Give Him a year of faithful tithing and watch. What God will do in your life. I have never seen Him fail. I've never, ever, ever seen Him fail. Am I alone in the room? I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Or their seed begging for bread. I've never, I've never seen it fail. I encourage you. I encourage you. Father, thank you for your word today. I ask that you, oh, I ask that you bind the truths of your word to the hearts of your people. Let them think about it. Let them them meditate on it. Let them have a head-on collision with where they are, who they are, and what they're doing here. And I pray that as we've studied your word, that The mighty cleansing that comes from the word would wash over your people. Everyone say this with me. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I repent of my sins. I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. I submit my will to you. And I receive your instruction, your direction, and your anointing. In Jesus' name. I pray over your family, over your faith, over your finances, over our fellowship, over our commitment to feeding, that we would receive the grace for growth. I speak blessing over each and every one of you from the top of the head to the sole of the feet. I call your children blessed. I call the work of your hands blessed. I call you mighty in the earth. I speak that the Lord your God would go before you and make every crooked place straight. I speak that the angels of the Lord that excel in strength and hearken unto the voice of the word of the Lord would go before you, that they would minister to you, that you would be strengthened and undergirded against every attack that may come against you this week, that God would preserve you and protect you, provide for you and cover you in all areas of your life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Give the Lord a praise in the house.